grab a seat if you're a kid heading off uh, to kids and uh, I don't know who has kids but somebody does there, oh there we go <laughs> all right very good hey um, I just feel really led after that song man we were talking about when death was arrested my life began um, in all of that um, man I just feel really led to share this illustration really super quick about that um, what I was thinking about back in the day I uh, had to be like 1800s I don't know somewhere around there when they were traveling by ships but this dude named Miles Stanford he was a, uh, a preacher he had an illustration about our life and what he said was that when we start off in this world as we know we're, we're not God's child we're in fact the Bible says we're an enemy to God and he says so we start off in this ship and when we're on the ship, the devil is our captain. And that is biblically true, that God's not our captain at that point. So we take off on the ship with Satan as our captain, leading us in the flesh. And at some point in our voyage, between the time we're born to the time we die, if you become born again, Jesus becomes your captain. And um, how many of you ever made Jesus your captain, man? Isn't that a good day? <laughs> Gary, was that a good day when the devil is no longer your captain? He wasn't charting the course for you? Amen. Right. And so, um, so in that, at some point when you're born again, now Jesus is the captain. But what he does is he takes the enemy. He takes Satan as the old captain of our life, and he chains him below. He throws him in a prison cell. He throws him in this, uh, you know, like, like a jail down below. And in that jail, he has no power over us. He has no authority over us. All he can do is bark out orders, but he's down below. And so if we stay above deck up there with Christ, who are we hearing? We're hearing Christ. That's who we're hearing. We're hearing our new captain. The more we're with our new captain, the more we're hearing that new captain, the more we're obeying his orders, the more we're enjoying the voyage, even though we get stormy seas and so on. But it's only when we kind of go down below deck that we start hearing that old captain. And we start listening to that old captain, even though he can't make us do anything because he's chained down below. He barks out orders, and if you don't know, he's very persuasive, isn't he? And so he sucks you in a little further, a little further, until now you're listening to that old captain. But again, he can't make you do anything. And so I want somebody needs to hear that this morning because, man, he's so persuasive that sometimes we feel like we're overpowered. But the Bible tells us there's no temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, write this down, memorize it. And every time you feel overwhelmed by the enemy, by yourself, by your flesh, by this world system, think of that, um, that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, there's no temptation taken us, but it's common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested above that you're able, but with the temptation or test, he will make a way to escape. You have to escape his way. You don't make your own escape route. And so, again, that isn't even what I'm preaching on today. I haven't even got started preaching yet, but I really felt God wanted us to hear that this morning. Understand the old captain, he was arrested, and that's when our life began. Amen? Amen. Now we stay above deck with Jesus and just listen to him. And when he does send us below deck, it's for a purpose, not to be persuaded by that old captain but to maybe rescue some other people from below deck to get them to come above deck and listen to the new captain make him theirs. Amen? Right on. So that isn't even what we're preaching on today, but uh, that just kind of, man, I just really felt somebody need to hear that. Maybe it was just me, Tom. I don't know. But today we get to celebrate two ordinances. That's, uh, for those of you in the military, that's not 223 and 556 or 308 or anything like that. Ordinance is basically something, it's a, a something that we do in the church. There's some certain things that God has commanded for his church to do. Christ has commanded. And two of those things are uh, really the only two things I really see is, is the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we get to celebrate both of those things today. Jules, she's down. Uh, all right, that's Ziva that was mentioned. Jules, uh, man, she's wanted to get baptized for almost like a year, right? And yeah, two years now, right? And, and so, yeah, they'd be kind of like, no, no, man. We, you know, I always like to ask them, why do you want to get baptized? And when they can really give the right answer, because uh, I don't want to make them a liar. Here's what baptism is, folks. When, and by the way, if any of you want to get baptized today, uh, it, uh, we'll be down there. Terry, you'll help me baptize other people, right? Not just your kid, right? All right. So anyways, uh, when we get down there and you're in the water, what does that look like? It looks like a cross, right? 
And so when I take you down under the water, what that symbolizes is Jesus' death and his burial. But fortunately for you, on the third day, what did Jesus do? He rose again. Otherwise, baptism, man, you're all drowned, and there'd be nobody in church after we baptize, right? So it represents Jesus' death and burial, but we bring you back up to represent Jesus' resurrection. It's a message you preach as a believer to the world. It's your public proclamation. And so what it represents for you is it represents you saying to the world, I'm dying to living my own life for me, and now I'm rising to live my life for Christ, and I'm going to do it in his resurrection power, not my flesh anymore. And so when we baptize somebody, we want to make sure that that's kind of what they're saying because if because when I baptize them, that's what they're saying. And if they don't really mean what they're saying, they're a liar, right? So I don't want to make you a liar. <laughs> and so if you can say, that's who I am, and I want to be baptized, man, we, Terry and I, and, and we can even get Zane out there, man. We got some big dudes. We can get you. And we will, we'll, if you want to be held down extra long, Tom, we're good at that, right? Yep. I told my buddy I'd hold him down extra long. And when I saw bubbles stop, I pulled him back up. We're good. <laughs> All right. But... So baptism is one of those things that we do, and it's, and, and it's kind of cool that baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of those things, uh, help us as believers to remember what we're really here for. It's easy to lose track of what the church is, is here for. We can make the church about a lot of things, and we can do a lot of good things, and, and a lot of things the world says are good and we say are good, but if we miss the point, we miss the point. And baptism in the Lord's Supper continually bring us back to the point of, of why we're here, why Christ left us here once we were born again. And so that's where we're at today. And um, I, I wasn't planning on all these nostalgic stories, but I, I had that first one, but... I have another one that I, that I think of a lot, and I don't know if you've seen it posted. I've posted it before. Maybe you've heard of, anybody here have heard the crude little life-saving station? You haven't? It's not like Thomas the Train or anything. It's actually, dude, this was written probably again during that same time of Miles Stanford. It was written during, man, when there were some great awakenings happening, when people were coming to Christ, man, and, and the Holy Spirit was working in that way. And so I want you to listen to this because... This fits so well with why this church was started. This, this little life-saving station was started. And may we never become just another club. May we always be a crude little life-saving station. And may, as believers, we always remember what our purpose is. It's, uh, uh, so I didn't write this. It's, in fact, we don't even know who wrote it. You can follow as I read it. All I'm going to do is read it here. And I wish I had a James Earl Jones voice. Anybody here have one of those? Can you do it? All right, just going to be my voice then, all right? Unless Mia reads it in Greek, right? All right. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut. There was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with this famous life-saving station and give some of their time and money and effort to the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. In other words, this isn't a good testimony. It doesn't look very good. So what happened? They felt that the more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they placed an emer the emergency cots with beds and they put better furniture in an enlarged building. Uh, now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for all of its members. I mean, there's cots, there's, 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 there's beds, there's furniture. It, it's comfortable, all right, for all of its members. And they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as sort of a what? A club. And it was kind of nice, man. All right. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So what they do? They hired lifeboat crews to do this work for them. The mission of the life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in this life-saving activity personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew brought the boat loads of cold, wet, 
and half-drowned people. Um, they were dirty, they were sick, they were different, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee, anybody know about the property committee? <laughs> you know, we don't have many committees, do we, Tom? <laughs> I want to stay a life-saving station. We got one, that's it. The property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The next meeting, there was a split in the club membership because most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. Anybody ever been part of a club like that? But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast and not mess up their club. They did. And the years went by, as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now most of the people drown. Wow. Author unknown. And you know, it's not hard for a church to start as a life-saving station about people being concerned with people's souls and people getting down and dirty in people's lives. Because how many of y'all know discipleship's messy? How many know it's messy and God brings you people that are, are contrary to you, people that are different than you? But, man, how many of y'all started as, as a mess <laughs> when Christ got a hold of you and all of a sudden you got super sanctified saint and that's what you all have to surround yourselves with? And I'm not saying we don't surround ourselves with people who are godly. We do. But for the purpose of making disciples, we are still a rescue station. And if we're not careful... The church of Jesus Christ, I'm not just talking about Dripwood, I'm just talking about the rescue, the church of Jesus Christ. We can make it all about hospitals. We can make it all about feeding people. We can make it all about fixing people. But let me ask you a question. Everybody Jesus fed did what? They died. Everybody Jesus healed did what? They died. Every miracle Jesus ever did, someone, it was for their benefit, but it was to show the mighty resurrection power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That when you are dead, he can lift you up from the dead and raise you from the dead and have an eternal home in heaven. If we do all these things but fail to share the gospel, we are a failure. We have turned into another club. We just have our own little nuance about our club of what we like to do. But it's all about the gospel. From the time we're born again to the time he brings us home. Yes, we all have. Man, I love to look out at this crowd. I love to hear Zane talk about he works in the construction industry, in air conditioning, in commercial air conditioning. It, tell me a more important person on a construction site than the dude who is head of air conditioning on a commercial construction site. He talks with the biggest bosses to the littlest guys. But, and yes, it does pay the bills, but do you know what he does? He tells you. That's why he shares this with you. Because it's not for bragging rights or look at me. What he's trying to do is he's showing you how he, on a daily basis, uses his job, realizes the job that God has given him is for eternal purposes. It is to help people see life from God's perspective. And I'm only picking on him because he's there. Some of you are right now going, oh, please don't pick on me. Please don't bring me up because I'm so proud of so many of you, of how you do that in your everyday walk. But don't stop short of sharing the gospel because that is the only thing that will make people live forever, guaranteed. So man, God has told us to do baptism so people will continually see. Man, we were, who was paddleboarding with me yesterday? Raise your hands, paddleboarders. Yeah, you guys were paddling with me yesterday. Dude, when we came back around the corner, man, I looked up and I seen all these people in white gowns and I'm like, yes, there's a baptism going on. I walked by and I'm saying, you guys are doing baptism right. And they're like, yeah. And I said, man, that's the greatest miracle happening right now when God takes somebody spiritually dead and makes them spiritually alive, is it not? And who does he have to do that with? It's us. That's what our job is. We get to be a part of that miracle anytime we want. 
And that's what that baptism was. That's why we do baptism. So we continually are reminded of what the purpose of the church really is. We're going to feed people, buddy. You better share the gospel. You're going to try to heal people. You better share the gospel. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ because one day everyone's going to die and meet their maker. And if they do not have the blood of Jesus Christ covering their lives because they have surrounded them, they, they have surrendered themselves to him, they will not be in heaven. They will be in hell forever. Regardless how many good works you did, don't sell yourself short of the gospel. That is our purpose. Communion is the exact same thing. Man, I so wanted, when God said do communion, I wanted to do something different because every time Driftwood in the last five years has ever had communion, how many of you ever had communion with us? How many of you already know the outline? Exactly. That's so you can go have communion yourself in your small groups and in your work at lunch. You can have communion by yourself or with other people. But here's our outline for communion. Communion, God set it up. We're going to see this in Corinthians when Paul was explaining to the Corinthians that the first thing we're supposed to do is everybody put your arms up. Come on, man. Put your arms up. We're supposed to look back, okay, to what Christ did for us. We're supposed to look forward to being with him again. We're supposed to look in to judge ourselves so that no one else has to, especially God. And it's all for the purpose of looking around and doing what the church was commanded to do and making disciples. Communion with God. That's what we're going to look at here. So the first thing I want you guys to do is remember to help me out. We're going to look. Look back. Sam, man, do it with some enthusiasm right here. Come on, man, Sam. Do it, buddy, right here. Look back. Yes. Looking back, man. I saw, I've seen you with enthusiasm, bro. We're supposed to look back. This is the first thing. If we don't look back, we can't really look forward. We don't know what we're looking forward to. And we can't. There's no purpose to look in. I'm just going to look at a mirror and make my own judgment on myself. And, and we'll have no reason to look out. It starts by looking back at what Christ did for us. We're going to look back to what Jesus has done for us. And this is taken out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, really verse 23 to 25, quickly setting this story up. What happened was the Corinthian church, you know, they were a big city, popular city, a big ungodly city. And Paul came in. We've been seeing in the book of Acts. They got born again. They got saved and they surrendered everything they knew about themselves, everything they knew about Christ. But now they started getting confronted. Well, what do we do with this in our society? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? How do we deal? And so they were wanting all these specific rulings on things. And Paul told them, as I shared with you last week, he kind of told them, look, man, just ask yourself if it's going to help the cause of Christ, if it's going to help you, and if it's going to help others. Ask yourself if it's going to hurt the cause of Christ, hurt you or hurt others. Ask yourself if it's habit forming. Ask yourself if it's honoring God, and you'll have the answer right there. So they forgot to do that with the Lord's Supper. And so they decide, hey, let's have a big party. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, let's have a love feast. Doesn't a love feast sound good? How many of y'all are hungry and could use a love feast right now? I'm not talking donuts, dude. I'm talking smoked meat, right? You know? <laughs> Man, dude, some smoked meat. You in for that, bro? You know, some macaroni and cheese. I know Keone would be in for that. But what I'm saying is they had a love feast. And so what happened was is... In that day and age, when you gave your life to Christ, many times you lost your job, you lost your family. And so now your new family, your new job, your new social system was the church. And we were all supposed to take care of each other because we all have strengths and weaknesses, something to offer and something to receive. And we help each other out in all of this. And so that's what they did. They said, let's have a big meal since some of you guys are starving and I got a little extra food. But this love feast turned into like a little clique. Some of the rich people were like, oh, you know what? You can look at us as we're eating our ribs, man. We're, we're eating our big, our big tenderloins. Well, you know, you guys can have some of our scraps. It got to be where it was not a love feast. It was just there were people here looking, looking like they were much more important than these people here. These people here, you know, it just it wasn't a love feast. And so Paul says, I'm going to tell you what the Lord's Supper is really for. And that's what this how this passage starts out. He says, I pass on to you. What I received from the Lord himself. So where'd Paul get this? From the Lord. Paul said, I got this from the Lord. All right. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. Okay. We know this happened uh, uh, the night before he was crucified and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my what? My body, which is given for you. Now, we don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. If you know what that is, I'm sorry I even bring that up. 
Uh, Al, I know you talk about that all the time, don't you? <laughs> I'm messing with you. But literally, it's, he said, this represents my body. So this bread right here, we do not believe that this is actually the body of Jesus, all right? But what we believe is this is a symbol of what? Now, nobody, I'll hold on to that piece so you won't touch it. I'll put it right in my pocket. <laughs> Gary's like looking. He's marking it off saying, dude, I know there's sick people in here. Hey. So when you get this, don't lick it and put another one back in there, all right? But we believe it represents Jesus' body that he broke for us. It's a symbol of his, of, what, of his body that he surrendered fully. How much of his body did it cost for our salvation? All of it. He gave it. So this is my body, which is given for you. And he says, do this in what? Remembrance. Remembrance. So that's looking back. Every time you do the Lord's Supper, whether you do it every morning for breakfast by yourself, you do it once a quarter with a church, or you do it whenever the church does it, whatever you do it, he said you're doing it in remembrance of him. So we're looking back to what he's done for us. So let me ask you, Dustin, what's he done for you, bro? Everything. Good answer. He's already taken that answer. So, hey, Jen, what did he do for you? You can't usually answer everything again. No. What did he do for you? He saved you. How about you, Bonnie? What did he do for you? Everything. Every, oh, you, you, good one. Gary, what did he do for you? Freed me. Freed you. Yeah. Hey, uh, Linda. Forgave your sins. Kathy, what did he do for you? Sam and Mia, what did he do for you guys? Saved us. Amen. Yeah. Anyway, Brian, how about you? What did he do for you? He helped you find him so he could. Yeah, because you couldn't find him on your own. Awesome, Tom. What? I know we already had your family answer one question, but Tom, what did he do for you, bro? Died for my yeah, he died for your sins. Hey, what did he do for you? He loved you. He loved, and is he done loving you? Yeah. He loves you now, and it's a perfect love, so can he ever love you any more or any less? <clears throat> Even if you mess up, he can't love you less? No, he loves you perfectly. Hey, what did he do for you? I know you're just here and you're leaving tomorrow. What did he do for you? He turned her world upside down. Anybody identify with that one? Yeah. Val, what did he do for you? He loves you. Yeah. Anyone else? What did he do for you? Rena, what did he do for you? He called you, and you have a purpose in life. Man, that's exciting. Every post I see you guys write, they're FCA leaders uh, in this area, Fellowship of Christian Athlete leaders uh, in, the, in lacrosse for this whole area. And they moved in. There's a wonderful, awesome story they'd be willing to share with you. But that's something important right now. They are called. Is there any doubt what you're supposed to be doing in life right now? No doubt. And is he confirming it over and over and over? Every day. Yeah. So, man, Jimmy, what did he do to you, man? Eternal life, Terry. He saved you from a bunch of sharks in murky water yesterday. But beyond that, what? He blessed me. He blessed you. Yeah, dude. I know, man. You know, I... I I'm just, I shouldn't probably go there, but I'm going anyways, man. How many of y'all men are blessed because you married up? You know, doesn't that make you wonder of the intelligence of a woman sometimes? That, I, I'm not complaining, but it's like, I don't know if God just confuses them for a moment, but you never notice every guy marries up, and you're like, oh my goodness, they married up, and then you realize, well, they married me. <laughs> like, all right, well, maybe it was just a moment of confusion God had to put in their head, but man, you're blessed, aren't you? Because you married up, brother. If there was anybody ever married up, it was you, man. <laughs> and me. All right. It was, and me, too. Man, anyone else, what did he do for you? When you look back, when you close your eyes, and we're, we're hanging on to that bread, and we're hanging on to that juice, you know, and it represents him sacrificing himself. What did he do for you, Kevin? What did he do for you? And he did bless you, yes. Sorry, I'm still back at how awesome my wife is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but except for that moment when she said yes. It was like, dude, I don't know what you were thinking, but I'm glad you were. She just said she married up too, so they're like, She's lying, brother. In church, I'm just saying. We know you, bro. No. Never mind, man. What did he do for you? Anyone else? What did he do for you? Yes, ma'am. Oh, he gave you faith to never give up. Amen. Okay, go ahead. Amen. He set you on fire. Anyone else? Yeah, Tom. He brought me into this world. Whatever he and he can take you out. No, I'm just joking about you. Amen. And I'm glad he brought you in this world, man, because I don't know. Uh, yeah, dude, you're just so special in my life. I don't know what I'd do without you, bro. Yeah. 
So man, look at this. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time, every time we, we share in the Lord's Supper, we, we just take time to pause and, and we take time to think of what he did for us. You know, doesn't that make you grateful? And when you're grateful, everything is what? Great. Yeah. When you're grateful, everything, help me out. Great. Everything's great. So wouldn't it be great to be grateful? Now, do you have to wait for us to do the Lord's Supper? You're like, Pastor, can we have the Lord's Supper so I can think about this stuff? No, every morning you can think about it. Have your own. But, man, the first part is to look what? Look which way? Back. Look back. That's where it's all got to start because when we're grateful, everything's great. And that gives us the ability now to look forward, to look in so that we can look around, all right? But it starts by looking back. So when we're done in another three hours, Terry Sr., uh, I, does he, did he get his punctuality from you, man? You know, and uh, he's a patient man, just like you, right? Yeah, all right. I know, but you're sitting on the back seat this time. I raised him, I'm extremely patient. Yes. <laughs> all right, so. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm done. All right, so in a moment, when we're done, uh, you guys are going to kind of come forward, and, and you're going to grab some of this juice. You're going to grab some bread, not the one that's in my pocket, and, uh, and, and you're going to have some time to think. And the first thing I want you to do is, uh, man, Al, which way do I want you to think first? Back. Take some time and think back as to what he did for you, what he's continuing to do for you now, but think back. Because that makes you grateful. When you're grateful, everything's great. Look at this. It says, in the same way, he took the cup after uh, cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an arrangement confirmed with my blood. In other words, it's not confirmed with your obedience anymore. Once you surrender all you know about yourself to all you know about Christ, his blood is now the payment for your sins. It's covered your sins. And how long are your sins covered for? forever and can, so can you ever lose them you ever lose it no do you have to renew it like a subscription no it can't fall out your pocket it doesn't fall off the boat it doesn't get blown out like a seat cushion like you know it's like it's there it's yours it's forever and he took away your sins with that he took them away forever positionally you're perfect practically speaking we know who you are no just, that's what we're working on in this process called sanctification but he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It is confirmed in his blood. He could not have paid a more valuable price for you than what he paid for you. And you're like, no, it wasn't worth it. You weren't. You were only worth it because he chose to make you worth it. And that's what makes you worth it. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. As often you drink. So again, we're looking which way? We're looking back. So we're not only going to look back, but we're going to look forward, okay? And we're going to look forward to his return. How many of y'all be pretty, uh, pretty stoked if he came back right now? Is there anybody be stoked if he came back right now? Yeah, that would be awesome. If you're not, ask yourself why you're not. <laughs> I'm, I'm good if he comes back right now. I'm going to dig life. I, it, Karen would be kind of a little sad because we miss Beach Day Monday again tomorrow. But, but, but think of the Beach Day Monday we'd have in heaven, man. <laughs> Yeah, this is not my home. And that's what he wants us to. When we start trying to make this place our home, that's where we get in trouble. We got to look back to what he did for us and realize that this is not our home. He gave us a home in heaven. And we're only here from the time we're born again to the time he brings us where? Home. And, and home, we're going to be there for eternity in perfection. So we're on the clock for Christ right now. Hey, uh, Chris, you work in the... Uh, Corrections Institute, right? Uh, are they pretty strict on what you can and cannot bring in there as an employee? Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, and there's pretty good reason for all of that, right? So what if you showed up tomorrow as a lazy boy, and then all of a sudden you put a big screen TV over top of the surveillance screen that they have, right? Because they don't get the channels you want, right? You're tired of watching them. Yeah, and, and, and you got ESPN, you got everything you want, surfing network right there. And what if you started decorating the office with surfboards? And then put a half pipe inside, you know, the jail right there. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. It would be awesome, but what would happen? What would your employer think of all that? He would, you'd probably get fired. <laughs> you would get severely right. And that's what happens every time. We are on the clock for Christ from the moment we're born again to the moment he brings us home. 
Now, that doesn't mean we can't have a half pipe and we can't have surfboards, but what it does mean is whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. We do everything we have and we do it for him. It's not for us because when we make this place our home, man, it just doesn't work. We're disappointed. And, in, and that's not what we're here for. It just doesn't work out with the boss, <laughs> you know? So we look forward to his return. You've got to remember where your home is, and look what he says here in this. Verse 26, Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until what? Until he comes again. How many of y'all believe he's coming again? Yeah, even though Peter said, man, they're going to, you know, people are going to say, oh, you guys have been saying forever he's coming. You've been saying forever he's not coming. Don't you get it? You keep saying he's coming and he's not. But he's going to come as a thief in the night. He's going to come when everybody's saying peace and safety. He's going to come as the world gets worse and worse and worse and we've got our little niche, our comfortable place. He's going to come. He is coming, and we're supposed to be reminding ourselves of what he did for us, and we're supposed to be looking forward to his return. If you're looking to his return, what, you, what can you not be looking at? You ever been focused on it? Yeah, you can't, you can't be looking at all your problems and, oh, woe is me. I need a new kitchen, or I need a new, you know, I'm just, whatever. You're looking for his return. What are you focused on? His return. And you're busy about his business, right, Al? That's what we're business. We get the world wants to distract us with so many things. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, to keep us focused on being that little crude life-saving ship or station of what it's really about, the gospel, looking back to what he's done for us, looking forward to his return. He says, man, till, uh, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So he says, in order to stay focused, in order once you look back, once you look forward, he says, now I want you to look in. And I want you to judge yourself so no one else has to. You know? I want you to police yourself, church. I want you to police yourself, Christian, so that the world doesn't have to come to you and say, ha, huh, look at you. Ha, huh, look at you. And when they do come, we can then say, oh, you know what? I'm, you're right. I am a jerk. I'm sorry. And I repent. And God's forgiven me. And since you're a jerk, too, I can show you how to repent and not forgive. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sir, isn't that what we're supposed to share with them? Maybe not in those exact words. <laughs> you never thought about it that way, did you? That's what the gospel is. We're all jerks. We all sin. We all need forgiveness. And we all need a Holy Spirit to let us know when we are a jerk, right? How many of you all need a Holy Spirit to let you know that? Because when we're being a jerk, we don't think we are, do we? No matter how your wife looks at you. So we miss that, don't we? <laughs> Man, we're supposed to look in to judge ourselves so no one else has to. And look at this, if you would. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthily manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So you know what that means? That means after I share with you why we're doing this, we're supposed to look back. To, man, appreciate what he's done for us. To look forward to our home being in heaven and really realizing and getting excited about that. And then look in so we can represent him. If you don't do that, if you're just like, all right, you know, dude, would you just shut up and hurry up? And, you know, the stakes are like, you know, the Methodists are going to beat us to the restaurant, whatever. Man, you know, if that's where you're at and you're just kind of like, okay, well, I'm just going to go through the motions here. That's an unworthy, unworthy manner. He says we're supposed to do this. It's not legalistic. We're supposed to do this so that we can judge ourselves so the world doesn't have to. And, and so he says, man, don't do this in an unworthy manner. And there's some consequences to it. He says, that's why you should examine yourself. Do an audit. Examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ... In other words, if you just do it unworthily, you just do it to do it, whatever, I'm done, let me get out of here and get to wherever. He says, you do it flippantly, what are you saying about what Christ did for you? Did he go to the cross flippantly for you? No. You maybe don't understand it. And he said, man, take this serious. He said, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. You won't take it serious. Maybe God will help you take it serious at the restaurant <laughs> or on the road. 
or later in life when consequences catch up. I don't know. I'm not threatening you. It's not a guilt trip. I'm just trying to explain it. He says, judge yourself so no one else has to. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. <laughs> That's what he's talking to the Corinthians. You guys turned this love, this Lord's Supper into a love feast that had nothing to do with love at all. It was all about showing off in pride, and you're blaming, and you're representing God in doing that. I want to get your attention, and that's what he's going to do. But if you would examine yourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. We examine ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit, should, should, we should do that daily. Holy Spirit, show me what it is that I, I uh, that I've got in my life that's not representing you. Show me how to represent you better. Man, because how many of y'all have blind spots? Gary, you got blind spots? Amen. How do you know you got blind spots? They're blind spots. You can't see them. But Tom and Linda behind you, do you see his blind spot? Really? you see his blind spot? It's a bald spot. <laughs> oh, blind spot, not bald spot. No, I'm just, yeah. But seriously, can the Holy Spirit show us our blind spots? Very well. And I am so grateful that the Holy Spirit shows me my blind spots through you guys so often. But he says, man, we should examine ourselves so we would not be judged by God in this way. So we are supposed to look back to see, to remember how, how much Jesus loved us and what he did for us. Dustin, we look what now? Forward. All right. To him returning. So once we realize what he did for us, once we realize our home is in heaven and we understand our purpose here, we should, we should be glad to, 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 look, to look in. Don't you want to do your job better? If you were doing something wrong on your, on your job, would you rather the boss be really ticked off and mad and not tell anybody and all the other employees know except you and they're waiting for you to figure it out? That'd be horrible, right? Wouldn't it be better if the boss came in and in a gentle way said, hey, why don't you fix this? You know, this isn't right. This is not what I really want you doing. You know, and here, here's some steps you can take to improve and fix it. Wouldn't that be great if the boss would do that? That's what our boss wants to do. As opposed to you getting fired and getting taken home, which is what he's talking about. So it's all for the purpose. Looking back, looking forward, looking in is all for the purpose of doing what we have been left here to do. Be that little life-saving station. And that is to look where? around to look around you get the fact you're not here for you <laughs> you have been bought with a price and he paid the most anyone could ever pay for you and it's you are now living for his glory whatever you do do for the glory of god so we're looking around to help others escape eternal judgment look at this one verse and see if you catch that in here yet when we are judged by the lord we're being disciplined how many of y'all like being disciplined if you like that, don't. I like being disciplined just so I don't make the mistake again, right? But discipline is not an enjoyable thing, is it? It's not, but it's necessary. It's so that we can have discipline in our life, so we can be disciples. And so when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So what's happening to the world? They're being what? Amen. Condemned. Yeah. And, and, and they're being condemned eternally. So the reason we look around, the reason we look back to be grateful and look forward to our home being in heaven and look in to do a better, represent Christ better at what he's called us to do is, is so that we can help others see life from God's perspective and not be condemned. Because when they're condemned, when they die without Christ, how long are they condemned for? Yeah, there's no do-overs. There's no do-overs. It's done. And God is continually putting people in our path for us to help them see life from God's perspective. And many of them need to see it from the first time. And he wants to use you to do that. That's what we've been left here to do. So in our communion with God, um, we're going to, everybody help me out with your worship aerobics real quick. We're getting ready here. Terry, before we do, would you look at that clock right there? I don't know if they changed it or not. Is it really old? Is it before 11 o'clock? Dude, you've been praying for me. Because <laughs> your family's here. You're like, man, look what time it is, man. <laughs> That's a miracle in itself. <laughs> praise God. I got something for the praise jar. Well, I better shut up and get going or we're going to be messed. Or I'll just blow it, right? 
All right, help me out with your worst rug. Get your hands up, man, even, even if your deodorant is failing. Turn next to the person and tell me if their deodorant is failing. All right, so some of you just went down a notch. All right, so we're supposed to look, 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 so that we can look. You got it, man. And so in a moment, we're going to pray. Uh, I, I think, did you decide, you, just you and JJ are going to do this so the band can really enjoy Lord's Supper? And that's cool. And uh, so they're going to kind of noodle and play a song back here. But um, after we pray, when we say amen, um, I want you guys just to come on up. I want you to grab um, some of this juice, which represents, it represents his blood, which was the only thing that would ever take away sins. Without blood, there's no remission of sins. No remission. You can't have, and it had to be perfect blood. So it had to be Christ's blood to take away our sins. And then grab the bread, take that back with you, and think about his body and what he's done for you. And, and so look back. Look forward to being, think about what it's going to be like in heaven. Does that make any of y'all smile? <laughs> I will never, ever be able to get in trouble again. That is awesome. Kevin, is that not going to be awesome? Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's so that we can then look in. Don't forget to look in. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you areas where you might be able to represent God better. And let the Holy Spirit speak with you. He'll be gentle. He won't dump it all on you. He'll just give you one or two. If you can only handle one, he'll just give you one thing. But just take that from him. And it's all for the purpose of looking around to help others escape that condemnation. Al, would you pray? Father God, we come to you right now as, as, uh, as your church. And uh, we thank you for our shepherds' words today. Lord, I, I pray that they, they spoke to every single one of us. And Lord, if we don't look back, look forward, look inside, and then look around, Lord, I pray that you convict us now. Lord, that, that we come with clean hearts take in, the, in your supper, Lord, the clean hearts. And we thank you for what you're doing in this church and all around the world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So if you would, just kind of come forward and don't trip on this cord or mess it up because EJ is watching. And then take it back to your seat. Think about those four things, and then we'll all eat and drink it together.
Jesus said um, that on the night he was, the Bible tells us that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and um, said, take and eat this. He basically took a common meal and gave it a special meaning, and it's now supposed to represent to us his body. And he said, so take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. took a common cup of wine and a common meal and he said I'm going to turn this into something special too because there's a new covenant now between you and God the veil is ripped from the top to the bottom I'm giving you access to God the Father anytime you want if you surrender yourself to him if you believe and he said so I'm, I'm paying for that covenant in my blood which is the only thing God the Father would accept so he said take this and drink and, and do this in remembrance of me also Father, we're grateful that you cause us, that you instruct us, that you command us to uh, baptize when somebody becomes born again, when they realize that they're a sinner and they can't pay for their own sins, and there's no need for them to pay for their own sins because you sent Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man, to come and live on this planet and live a perfect life and never sin so that when he could die the death of a sinner, he wouldn't be paying for his own sins, but he would be paying for ours. He was buried and he rose again on the third day in his own resurrection power. And Father, we are so grateful that you said that if we would put our faith and trust in what he did on the cross to pay for our sins, that not only would our sins be paid for and would be forgiven, but we, could immediately be able to enjoy that resurrection power and live a new life, um, not in our own strength, but in your power to represent you and be a witness to this world as to what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. So Father, um, we're grateful for that gospel. I pray that if there's someone here that's never trusted what you've done on the cross that, to pay for their sins, if they're still trusting in some ritual, they're trusting in their own good works, Father, I pray you would show them how faulty that system is and that there's a new system. And I pray you would give them the desire and ability to put all of their faith and trust in what Jesus did and be able to believe that not only are you living inside them with resurrection power now, but you will give them a home in heaven. For those of us that have done that, Father, I pray that we would look around and you would use us to save those who are doomed to condemnation. All you've asked us to be is a witness, not a lawyer. Help us not have to try to prove a case, but just simply to live like a kingdom child, to represent this kingdom, your kingdom, to this world. And if anybody wants to defect from Satan's kingdom and come over to your kingdom, Give us the words to be able to tell them how to do that. But let it start with us walking in that resurrection power, representing your kingdom so they can see what it looks like. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. All right. Hey, minute. We're going to head out to baptism. and uh, um, But I just feel like I need to explain this to some people. We, have, we talk about it every once in a while. This is a shaka right here. So let me see your shaka. Everybody throw your shaka up, right? Um, it, it's a Hawaiian thing, and the urban legend goes that basically uh, when the Howleys, the white guys, first started trying to surf up on the North Shore, that they really felt like they were out of place, they weren't accepted, and they were trying to fit in. And so what happened was they would go up uh, on the North Shore, and there would be like these plantations, and people would uh, – uh, this one dude used to shoot a shaka at him all the time. Well, it wasn't called a shaka. And they thought it was some secret Hawaiian thing, so they did it back. And um, one day they went and talked with the guy, and they found out that he lost these fingers in a farming accident. And so instead of hiding it and waving like most people would have, he did the best he could with what he had where he was at, and he created a whole culture that means to hang loose. And so as believers, the reason we use this as our amen, because amen means to hang loose. We know that our life is under God's control. It's under his authority. And nothing comes in our life unless it's by his design. 
And whatever's going on in our life is the very best thing that could ever go on in our life if we experience it through his presence and with his power and see it from his perspective. And so that's why we always say, and all of God's people said, yeah. because it's just what God has ordained.